but let me say a word by way of a preface, if you will. And I think this is, a, this is a difficult, perhaps, idea, but I think it's absolutely critical if we're going to properly understand. We've been celebrating the fact that the Lord has conquered death, and praise God, he has. But of course, all of us understand. I just celebrated my 72nd birthday. All of us understand that unless the Lord returns first, that at some point, this time here on earth will end. But when it ends, and maybe that is the end, <laughs> and, and, and when it ends, maybe, if that was the Lord's return, I'm in trouble because I'm still here. Um, so, um, if, uh, but when it ends, of course, we know that we enter uh, into the presence of the Lord. To be absent from the body uh, is to be present with the Lord. But I want you to understand something about Joshua, about this entrance into the promised land. Um, Ref Brad made reference this morning to how we understand that all of the Old Testament sacrifices were not in and of themselves sufficient. All of those Old Testament sacrifices had the purpose of pointing to the day when the perfect sacrifice would be offered up. When Jesus, the Lamb, John the Baptist sees Jesus. And if we don't understand the Old Testament, John's statement concerning Jesus is just plain weird. The only thing that keeps John's, the Baptist statement about Jesus from being weird is that we know the Old Testament. Because John looks at Jesus and what does he say? He says, behold what? The Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. That statement has no meaning unless we understand the Old Testament scriptures. Well, what is this thing about their entrance into the promised land? What is that all about? That is also meant to be for us anticipatory. It's meant to be for us a foretaste of what is to come. The Apostle Paul says, that we have been delivered out of the dominion of darkness and we have been brought into the kingdom of the sun. Okay, put all of that in its old, think of all of that against its Old Testament background. The children of Israel have been delivered out of the dominion of darkness. They have been delivered out of Egypt, the house of slavery. They have wandered. For 40 years. Some of us wander for more than 40 years. They wander for 40 years and then they enter the promised land. And what is the promised land intended to be for them? It is intended to be a place of shalom. It's intended to be a place of peace. It's intended to be for them a place of God's richest blessings. It is also intended to be a foretaste of God's judgment. Because as they enter the promised land, God's judgment 
is being poured out upon the wicked of that land, just as God's judgment had previously been poured out at the time of the flood, and just as God's judgment will be poured out on the last day in the same way. Now, what happens in the promised land is a catastrophe because of the people, because of their sin, because Christ has not yet come. But when he comes, all sin is taken away. And for us is now the promise that one day we will cross the Jordan and we will enter the promised land. But we will be sinless. We will be perfected. We will be totally sanctified. Can you, that's, if you can imagine that, that you're far better than I am. I mean, that's just beyond my comprehension. But that heaven which awaits us, the promised land, was meant to be anticipatory of what was yet to come. So when we turn to the book of Joshua, we find that things, we find God's promise of wonderful things and yet nothing proves to be perfect. Not yet. Not yet. Just as the Old Testament sacrifices in and of themselves had no power. They had no ability to forgive sin except for the fact that they anticipated the coming of the Lamb of God. Now I give you all of that background because our focus today is going to seem at first to be a little morbid. Our focus today is that is on four funerals. Four funerals. The beginning and the end of Joshua. Four funerals. Look with me at Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. They never occupy all that territory. The Lord says, I'm giving you all of that territory. They never occupy all of that territory. Why? Because they are still sinful people. Okay? But that's the Lord's promise to them. That's the Lord's promise. Verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. And 
a goodly portion of that land they will inherit. And the Lord says to Joshua, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now turn to the very end of Joshua. Turn to the very end of Joshua. Joshua chapter 24 and verse 29. All the way to the end. Joshua 24 and verse 29. They've entered the land. They've begun the conquest. They have begun to divide up the territory among the tribes. And then we read, after these things, Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. Wow. And they buried him in his own inheritance in Timnath Sirah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gosh. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the place of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the son of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him at Gibeah, the town of Phineas' son, which had been given him in the hill country of Ephraim. Let's pray together. God, teach us now. Instruct us according to your holy word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Over the years, I've officiated at many funerals. When I'm confident of the faith of the one who's died, I rejoice knowing that though my friend is absent from the body, they are now present with the Lord. But at the same time, at that same funeral, I often weep because I know that death is not what was meant to be. And being, I'm sad, I'm just, I'm sad to be temporarily separated from this one that I love. Well, here the book of Joshua begins and ends with four funerals. It begins by telling us Moses is dead, and it ends with the, the funerals or the burial of Joshua and of Joseph, which is interesting, we'll talk about that in just a moment, and of the high priest Eleazar. Now, funerals are a moment of transition. And over the past few, year, uh, past few years, it may seem like years to you, over the past few weeks, I've suggested that just as, as Israel was facing a moment of transition, so, so are you. As the book of Joshua ends, um, 
Israel is about to enter the years A.G. after Joshua, and as Brad has suggested, you have now entered the years A.D. after Dan. Well, Dan, of course, thank the Lord, he isn't dead, but he's not here. Having served as your pastor for 15 years, he's taken up a, a significant responsibility of training church leaders in Africa. And I want you to know that that is an incredibly significant responsibility. I've been on one of those trips for two weeks in the land of Nigeria and then in the land of Ghana. And I've stood before those church leaders uh, and seen their hunger to be taught things that many of you might just take for granted but for whatever reason, because of the lack of their education, they just have never clearly understood, and they just soak it up. They just soak it up. Well, this is the, this is the work to which Dan has now been called. And so now you're about to begin the search for the man that the Lord will choose to be your next senior pastor. But changes the way of all the earth. And that's made evident here in the book of Joshua. Look at, again at chapter 24, verses 29 through 33. Joshua dies at 110 years old. I can't even imagine living that long. And I want you to note, he's called a servant of the Lord. I mean, who could ask for more than that? Who could ask for more than to be identified by the living as a servant of the Lord. Who could ask for more than to stand before your Lord and have him say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, look at verse 31. There you're told that during Joshua's day and the days of the elders who outlived him, Israel served the Lord. Now, if you want, just turn over a couple of pages to Judges chapter 2, verse 10. In Judges chapter 2 and verse 10, here you're told the staggering truth that after Joshua's generation was gathered to their fathers, these words are almost hard to read. You're told there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. They didn't know the Lord. Now listen, you have to understand how the word know is used in the Old Testament scriptures. It doesn't mean that Somehow or other, they were unfamiliar with the stories of what the Lord had done. In Scripture, the word know often suggests an intimate relationship. So what we're being told in this verse is that this next generation didn't know the Lord in the sense that they, were, that they, that they no longer put any stock in the old stories, these old stories their parents were always telling them. They just weren't paying attention. Look at Judges 2.12. Look at the 12th verse. I mean, here we're just, 
again, it's almost hard to read. Because here you're bluntly told they abandon the Lord, the God of their fathers. They chose instead to serve Baal. They chose to serve the gods of the people around them. You remember that in Joshua 24, 15, he calls upon the people to choose either to serve the Lord or to choose false or to serve false gods. And tragically, two generations after Joshua, two generations, the people foolishly and wickedly choose to serve false gods. Now, I want you young people especially, and I'm so thrilled by how many of them, how many of you there are. I want you young people especially to listen to me. The church is always one generation removed from apostasy, from abandoning the Lord and making the evil and the foolish choice to serve the gods of our present age by embracing their false ideas and their wicked lifestyle. Sooner than you young people realize, sooner than you can possibly realize, you'll either be the leaders of the church in which the Lord plants you, or you will foolishly make the evil choice to reject the Lord and his eternal and unchanging truths, those truths that you've been taught here at Chattanooga Valley and hopefully by your parents. Well, I pray that God takes hold of you and never lets you go so that you never make such a foolish choice, that you choose to follow the Lord, that you choose to embrace Jesus as your Savior and your King so that he might work in and through you Yes, work in and through you to accomplish greater things for his kingdom and glory than you can now possibly imagine. Listen, I understand. I know I'm an old man in your eyes. I understand that. But I'm well acquainted with the allurements of this world. I understand the temptation to embrace the world's ideas and lifestyle. But I beg you to simply open your eyes and pay attention to the world around you and see how the ideas and the lifestyle of this world, while understandably, I I won't debate the fact that while those things might perhaps be momentarily attractive and even enjoyable, I understand all that, inevitably, They lead to despair, they lead to profound regret, and they lead to death. They lead to a living and an eternal death, separating you from the Lord and his temporal and eternal blessings. God brings the children of Israel into the promised land. Here are his promises. Here are the ways in which he would bless them. They foolishly choose to embrace the ideas and the lifestyle 
of the gods and the gods of those people, those false gods that are all around them. So I urge you, young people, I urge you. I know I look a little nasty, but I'm really a nice guy. I'm really, I'm, you, ask, you can ask Willa, right? Is that true, Willa? Yeah, she, okay. I helped raise her, so you, you can understand this. She can testify, I'm a nice guy. So I, but I wanna urge you to make the obvious choice. By God's grace, choose to live as a follower of Jesus, and I can assure you, you will never, but you will forever be grateful for doing so. And I assure you, if you choose not to follow Jesus, I assure you, you will soon and forever despair of the foolish choice that you have made. So look at verse 32. Joseph. Joseph is Abraham's great-grandson. Some 500 years earlier, while prime minister of Egypt, he asked for his bones to be one day buried in the land, the land that he knew the Lord had promised to Israel. Think about Joseph as prime minister of Egypt. He could have partaken of all this world has to offer. But his focus was upon the Lord and his confidence rested in the promises of God. And now here at last, some 500 years later, his bones are buried in the Lord's promised land. He enters Joshua, Joseph, buried in the promised land, absent from the body, but now present with the Lord. Verse 33, you're told of the death of the high priest. His name is Eleazar. He was the son of Aaron, Israel's first high priest. So he is the one who stood before the Lord to lead Israel in worship. And now he has died. And he is buried in the land given to him by the Lord within the territory of Ephraim. So what do we got here? Think about what we've got here. People have finally entered the land. They've begun the task of conquest. The various tribes are beginning to occupy their assigned territories. And now their leaders are gone. They're gone. They're gone. Now Israel will have to carry on without them. Well, this change in leadership, nothing new. Go back to Joshua chapter 1, where you find an even more staggering change in leadership. Go back to Joshua 1. Just as, just as Israel is about to enter the promised land, there's an even greater change in leadership because suddenly Moses 
is no longer physically present with them. Turn back one page in your Bible and look at the closing verses of Deuteronomy 24. Uh, 34, I'm sorry. Turn back one page and look at the closing verses of Deuteronomy 34. And listen to what you're told about Moses in verses 10 through 12. This is the one who's no longer with them. Listen to what you're told about him. There has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him, for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. They're entering the promised land. They're about to cross the Jordan and enter that promised land, and Moses is no longer with them. When I I first became conscious of world affairs, this will date me, General Dwight David Eisenhower was president of the United States. I knew that under his leadership during World War II, the Allies gained the victory in Europe. He was for me a hero. And in my young mind, I, 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 I thought he'd always be president. I mean, he was supposed to be president. He would, he would always be president. It was really hard for me to fathom at the age of 14 that suddenly General Eisenhower was no longer my president. Well, here are the people of Israel. And suddenly, no longer Moses is their leader. Moses, the one through whom the Lord delivered them out of Egypt, the one through whom the divided waters of the Red Sea, they, the, the, who brought them safely through the divided waters of the Red Sea, and then used the water, the, those same waters to destroy the pursuing Egyptian army. Moses, who led them through the wilderness, who provided for them bread and meat and water by, by the Lord's enabling, who, who overcame their enemies, who, who chastised them when they sinned, who, who judged those who proved unrepentant. The Moses who has led them now to the very eastern banks of the Jordan. He is suddenly no longer with them. Well, who's going to lead them? Who? Well, it'll be the man of God's choosing. And who will that be? In this case, it will be Joshua. In your case, who will it be? I'm eager to see. And probably some of you are even more eager than me. In verses, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, the Lord speaks to Joshua. And as the Lord speaks to Joshua, I encourage you to hear the Lord speaking to you as well. The Lord tells Joshua, look at verse 2. The Lord tells Joshua, Moses is no longer with you. So what's Joshua supposed to do? Is he to keep on weeping? You look back at Deuteronomy 34, they had been weeping for 30 days. 
You're supposed to just keep on weeping? No. What's Joshua to do? Is he to sit still? No. What he is to do is to get busy and to do what needs doing. He should get up, the Lord says. The Lord says to him, arise, get up, lead the people across the Jordan into the promised land. Look at the Lord's promise in verse 5. Look at verse 5. Look at the Lord's promise and apply it to yourself and to your circumstances. The Lord assures Joshua, no man shall be able to stand against you. Now, if you allow me to, I think, properly apply that to your circumstance, the Lord promises no one can thwart my purposes for you, my people. Why? Look at what you're told. Because just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Does that sound familiar? Well, it should. (laughs) The Lord promises in Hebrews 13, verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And therefore, you're told in Hebrews 13, verse 6, that you can confidently say, listen, the Lord says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, and therefore, you can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? In John 14, when Jesus knew he would soon no longer be physically present with his followers, He promises them. He promises you, I'll never leave you as orphans. Instead, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Joshua 1, verses 6 and 7, the Lord twice tells Joshua that instead of being fearful at this moment of transition, he tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. And then the Lord tells Joshua how he can find the strength and the courage that he will need. Look at verse 8. Here's where the strength and the courage comes from. The strength and the courage that Joshua needs, that you need, comes from meditating day and night on the word of the Lord so that you'll be careful to live as he would have you to live. And in chapter 1, verse 8, the Lord promises if you do so, then according to his divine purposes, you will prosper and have good success. Therefore, Again, in verse 9, the Lord says, be strong and courageous. Now he adds, don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, if you're a little troubled by the fact that I'm applying what the Lord says directly to Joshua that I'm applying those words to you. Note that in Joshua 10 and verse 25, in Joshua 10 and verse 25, Joshua says exactly the same things to his people when they become fearful of their circumstances. He says to them, just as the Lord said to him, 
So Joshua says to them, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Be strong. Be courageous. So here you are. Facing a moment of great change. The Lord has called your senior pastor to a wonderful task. Now you're about to begin the search for a new leader, a new senior pastor. And as you enter into the days that lie ahead, do so with a strong faith. Do so with great courage. Don't be frightened. Don't be discouraged. The Lord is with you. In these days that lie ahead, you're not always going to agree with one another. That's fine. There's no, that's, not, that's not a problem. As long as your focus is upon the Lord and the truth of his word and what you care about as he instructs you to care about is to maintain the unity and the peace of the church. You can express your opinion. You can express your ideas as long as those of you who are expressing your opinions and expressing your ideas don't think you're God. You could be wrong. You might well be right. I'm usually right. <laughs> At least so I think. And yet I have people that tell me that I'm not. And you know what? When they tell me that I'm not right, that's hard to accept. So what am I going to do? Am I going to raise up on my hind legs and defend my ego? Am I going to pout because people dare not accept my advice? Am I going to pout? If all of my ideas are not embraced, God forbid. You are the church of the living God. You are to maintain its unity and peace. How? By being led by your session, by heeding the advice of your leaders, and by submitting to whatever the majority vote of the congregation might be. That is what you will do if you are to honor the Lord, if you are to honor one another. The peace and the unity of God's people is far more important than any of my particular ideas or opinions. And I have particular ideas and opinions. I've led a session of 20 elders for, for many, many years, more years than I can count at the moment. Do you know that that session on occasion has had the audacity not to agree with me? Can you imagine that? 
I'm the pastor. These are my ideas. Nope. We're not doing that. We're doing this instead. And you know what? Listen to me. I'm as strongly opinionated as anybody here. And I rejoice to be a Presbyterian. I rejoice in being able to submit to my brethren. I rejoice in that. To maintain the peace and the unity of the church. That is what God calls us to do. To maintain the peace, the unity, and the purity of the church. And clearly, obviously, if you come to the point where you think that somehow or other the purity of this church has been corrupted, then you simply need to go and worship somewhere else. If I thought the purity of my church had become corrupted, I'd leave. I'd leave if there was no possibility of overcoming whatever the source of that impurity might have been. The purity of the church and its peace and its unity. Therefore, I instruct you to pray for those who lead you through this time of transition. Pray for your elders. Now, what did the Lord say to Joshua? Be strong, be courageous. How? By meditating day and night on the truths of my word so that you might know how I would have you to live, all right? As you pray for your elders and meditate upon God's word, seeking his strength, courage so that you'll be neither frightened or dismayed or dismayed then remember his charge to you this is the lord's charge to you in hebrews 13 and verse 17 this is the lord's charge to you obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Why? Because that would be of no advantage to you. Thus saith the Lord. Pray also for those you choose to be members of your, your, search, your, your pulpit committee. Pray that the Lord will grant them wisdom as they seek to identify a candidate that you will have to give consideration to a candidate to serve as your next senior pastor. And pray, pray, claiming his promise that he will build his church and not even all the powers of hell can thwart his good purpose for you, his people. Brad already directed your attention this morning to Aaron's benediction.
I want to close with these words. You, the people of Chattanooga Valley Presbyterian Church, may the Lord bless you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he turn to you his face of favor. And may he grant you his peace. And all God's people said, let's pray. Father, teach us, instruct us, and lead us in that way everlasting. Lead us in that way pleasing to you, honoring to you, glorifying to you. Father, be with these people. Father, keep them pure. Keep them unified. Keep them at peace, even as they now enter these challenging days ahead. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.